Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Another week, another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, joined by my co-host, Shelly, hashtag girl boss, Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Serge, I, I tell you, if I could reach through the Zoom screen, I would strangle you for saying that. Oh, my God. I know. I know. So <gasps> go in the story why cringe, I'm calling you cringe, hashtag cringe. girl boss. Oh, my gosh. So with the Global Women of Influence nomination that I am six weeks into this process of filling in the application. So you're nominated and then you have to respond with an application. And then they decide, are you fully qualified? It includes three years of financials. This is like serious stuff. So my girlfriends are all trying to help me and keep my spirits up. And I'm getting even emails where the subject line is hashtag girl boss. And I just... <laughs> fucking cringe don't call me that please so who should call themselves girl boss because obviously i'm an instagram tiktok and do you know how many influencers or multi-level marketing oh god that's exactly why i cringe oh exactly they're like oh "Oh, i run this business run your own business and they're like selling shampoo to people on facebook and then i always see the hashtag girl boss so when you said that i laugh and now i am going to call you girl boss all the time oh god it just makes me cringe because i see them as well and and it's usually look at how beautiful my hair is like it is just to me the ultimate i I don't know it's millennial i'm sorry Am I being politically incorrect? I, I don't know. Maybe it's millennial. Yep. 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 Product that. Oh, uh, live your dreams. A... Hashtag it's... girl boss. Control your own schedule. And in the whole time, it's look at how skinny I am. I'm such a skinny bitch and I've got great hair. And I'm like, fuck. I know. Oh, and and these are the same people on the oh. grind or the hustle. Um, oh my God. Funny oh. story. I, I had someone, oh I think it was on Twitter, someone wrote, does anyone still have friends that don't have a podcast or have a multi-level marketing <laughs> business on Facebook? And it's a dig. Yes. We're those podcast people. I never talk about my podcast on Facebook. Stop annoying all your friends that you I went know. to high school with and now trying to sell them this shit. So anyways. And it's about hashtag to get worse. World boss. Hurts. <laughs> no, don't. It's about to get worse, Serge, because things that we're going to talk about today. So we're saving the best for last. The first thing we're going to talk about today is did COVID change recruitment metrics? And I think it did. So we're going to take a, have a little little chit chat about that. The other thing we're going to talk about is something that a company called Coinbase is doing as it relates to compensation. And I think that's super interesting as well. And saving the best for last, we're going to see what's going on over at TikTok and are they actually going to be getting into the recruiting game? So COVID search, the metrics have changed. The measures for effectiveness in recruitment have changed, I I do believe. So starting with time to apply, is that a new metric in your experience? It's one metric that not a lot of companies are measuring, but it's one that everyone should have been looking at for years. Basically, what time to apply is how long does it take a candidate to get through your apply process? 
Does anyone measure that? It's an interesting one because you should be measuring it, but are people actually measuring? Basically, I saw your job, I click on apply, how long did it take me to go through the process of applying? So this is where we talk about a, a couple of times. Yeah. Do you need to register for you to apply for a position? The minute oh, you need right. to register your, your candidate, it, it just throws away a whole bunch of your candidates. They're just going to walk away from it. Because then the other element is like, how much information are you actually gathering? How hard is it to actually mm -hmm. apply? And it's funny, when I started my own business, one of the things that people said to me, and I thought it was genius because I never put it in perspective is, how easy is it for people to be able to pay you? <laughs> yeah. I never thought of that. So to measure that would mean that you actually tried it yourself. Yes. So the other big part of that is, so if you're on a desktop, you might be able to make your way through it. But what if you're mobile? Like we know that is going nowhere but up and the ability to apply. Now, if you have to go through how many screens, like six or seven screens to apply, and you may be able to upload your resume because you've saved it maybe on Dropbox or something. To your point on mobile, 70%, according to Indeed's data right now, of applications are coming through mobile. So if the experience on your desktop and mobile are completely separate and, and it's not mobile responsive, the minute that you have to pinch and expand on your phone to be able to see what oh, you're actually I get a headache out, just thinking about it. Uh, your experience... All yeah. of your career sites should be a mobile-first platform with the desktop ability because that mm -hmm. is where the great majority of your applicants are, are coming from mobile. And that is across all industries, right? That's where the majority of people are applying for jobs is on your phone. Agreed. So here's another one. Applicant to hire. Now, I know that's something I've always talked about because if you think that you're wildly successful because you've got one job to fill and 700 people applied. That's a bad thing. I know uh, recruiting, they, we always say that the, this is a game of quality. So I think what that reflects is the quality of your employer brand and the quality of the job ad itself, because there is a difference between not just the candidates that are hired, but realize how many people you had to reject. So I think applicant to hire ratio is really important thing to watch. Well, it, it, you're right. So one of the things that we have to look at, so applicant to hire is a little bit different because in reality, those are the physical applicants that are applying to your job. It, it doesn't also leverage your candidates. So your candidates could be candidates you source. I, I think the biggest discussion point is here is a lot of people are applying for jobs then never getting a call back because the preference is on the candidates that the company source. If you're looking at your metrics and the great majority of your hires are actually candidates that you've sourced compared to applicants, there's something wrong with your messaging. There's something broken in your funnel that none of your applicants are actually going through. And they feel there's an issue at the top of the funnel because they're never hearing back. Do you think that's an issue? Absolutely. That is a beautiful segue into the sourcing channel effectiveness because applicant to hire, I believe, is a reflection of, yes, your brand, are your job descriptions effective? Are you advertising in the right places? But sourcing channel effectiveness, I think more commonly candidate source, like where did they come from? The quality candidates, people who got hired, 
where did they come from? And so not tracking that, I'm shocked by how many companies don't know what exactly is their best source. And so they continue, whether it's investing in advertising in the wrong places or under the assumption that LinkedIn is the best source. Like, how do you know that? How can you directly attribute the original source being LinkedIn? It's hard to do. There may be, so unless you've got an applicant tracking system or some sort of system that does track source, because if you're relying completely on candidates to disclose source, we know it's not reliable. And so if you are trying to trace back on the candidate journey, at what point did the scale tip and you decided to apply? In other words, I heard of you guys through these various channels, but at the end of the day, the reason I applied is because my next door neighbor's first cousin works for you guys. And he said something nice about you. Yeah. That's, that's employer, employee referral. But can you ever trace that back to your next door neighbor's first cousin? No, I I think overall you want to get aggregate data to give you a sense of what's working and what's not. And like you said, most ATS right now easily track where your candidates are coming from. And it's not based on self-selection. You should never rely on data that is like a drop-down menu. And where did you hear from us and expect them to choose actually where they heard from you? Because from my experience on that end is they're going to choose your career site. They're going to say they actively came to and researched your company. And we all know that's not true. It's funny because in my years and indeed and dealing with clients and asking them where their candidates were coming from and uh, hearing the stories, 90% are coming from her career site. And and my mind, I'm just laughing because in reality, your company, Joe Schmo, that no one's ever heard of, and you're getting 90% of your traffic from people coming to your career site instead of the advertising you did on LinkedIn or indeed that. A thousand Mm -hmm. people saw. So if you believe that your traffic is coming from your career site, unless you are a major brand, Brand. yeah, yeah, your data's wrong. I'm telling you right now, because no one is going to your career site uh, proactively to look at your job. And maybe not no one, but very minimal. But this is one that has always shocked me that a lot of companies don't even know how much they spend on recruitment and they'll renew their LinkedIn license. They'll renew their Indeed license. And in reality, their candidates might not be even coming from there. They're not weighing what the actual spend and what the effectiveness of that channel and what their budget should be and how much they should spend there. They just mm-hmm. renew to the same amount that they spent the year before. Maybe 70% are coming from Zip Recruiter and you're spending 2% of your budget. Maybe that's a sign that you need to spend more there, or maybe it's a sign yeah. that you need to shift your spends. It's one that if you're not doing, you should be doing. Most systems have the capabilities to give you exactly not only where you're getting your candidates, But where are you getting the candidates that you're hiring, which Mm -hmm. is another really important element of it is, okay, maybe you're getting 90% of your candidates from Indeed, but 90% of your hires are coming from referrals. Maybe you need to double down on your referral program. Maybe you need to um, shift the spend away from Indeed to there. Where are your hires coming from is very important as well. Absolutely. Here's a new COVID metric or post new world. Let's say new world metric time to interview now 
realize this is the difference. We say that speed is the new currency, right? And this is the difference on whether you win or lose. I don't think COVID or this new world has changed anything. I can tell you that even back in my staffing agency days, if I had a candidate that I know was like top skills, if I reached out to them like within a day of them expressing interest in a role that we had or something and brought them in like within a day or two, because I know they're in the market, I know they're looking, and I'm able to send them out on at least two or three interviews in 72 hours, the chances of them accepting an offer from one of my clients is like 90%. Yeah. Because I have wrapped a blanket around them and it is getting them out on interviews. And so if we shift this now to, I know we talk an awful lot about corporate recruitment, But the same thing does apply. If you're dragging somebody through a 12-week process, you're going to lose them. And you need to know and understand that it's like, when does the process start and when are you losing people? Hmm. Because they may not even make it to the end. And why? Like, why do you need that many people involved in hiring to begin with? The minute they apply, are you waiting 30 days to reach out to them or are you calling them right away because that will speed up your metric dramatically and get them through the process and as we know right now if we're not getting candidates through the process really quickly they're gone by the time that we get to the next phase so time to interview i think is a really interesting metric it's not one that i've ever measured but it's one that really opened my mind when i read this article about time to interview and how quickly you can get them through the process. But mm-hmm. more important, like how do you get them set up for that first interview? Because without that first interview, you've got nothing. There's a good chance that you are going to lose them. But the minute that you get that first interview, you're buying yourself a little bit of time. At least now they know you're engaged. You're compared to if they never hear from you, they're just going to move quicker on other interviews yeah. maybe they have lined up. You're absolutely right. Not buying yourself time, but you, you're able to set expectations. Yeah. So if you say to the candidate, they applied 20 minutes ago and you're on the phone with them. And here's how things are going to happen here. Here's our process. Tell me what else is going on with you. What's important to you. Now you're starting to set the stage and also begin to set the expectations. And you're going to find out right there and then if you need to accelerate this person and get them in front of the hiring manager tomorrow. The sense of urgency is interesting. I know in the, having come from the staffing world, our sense of urgency was, it was sometimes it felt like I was being electrocuted. (laughs) (laughs) It was like somebody flipped a, a, a switch on my seat. And I was honestly, if I did not book this candidate within 24 hours, I could honestly feel like I was going to get electrocuted or an electric prod or something. And I know when I left the staffing world, I remember thinking, oh my God, I can relax for the first time. I was scared to take vacation because somebody would like, I'm going to lose out. So it's all about time. And so our last metric here, and I know uh, we've talked about this a lot, something I've always measured, like even back to the very beginning of my career is my offer acceptance ratio. I believe regardless of what's going on in the economy, you have, as a recruiter, you have control over your offer acceptance rate. You have some control for sure. So what do you think is a good rate? What should be your offer acceptance rate? So I have a belief as well. If you're closing 
candidates properly, you don't send out an offer unless they've already said that they will accept. Yeah. Right? My offer acceptance rate should be in 99, 98 to 99% because I'm not going to go through the process of sending them an offer that I don't know that they've already, it should be a non-event. So you're measuring your offer acceptance based on the formal offer sent in writing, but do you measure it on verbal offer, which is where I measure it? Because in reality, I'm not moving to the next phase until I have a verbal offer out to them and, and an acceptance on most of the key points before I move to formal. So yes, if you're sending a formal offer, your rate should be high, 99% in a normal economy. Maybe we're not seeing that right now at all. Like any company is saying it's getting 99%, even if they've done it perfectly. We're getting blindsided by candidates left and right with multiple options. But are you counting the verbal offer? So if you do take that out of the equation and you're now measuring your interview to hire ratio, Because your interview to hire means if you had to interview five people, you make verbal offers to five and only two accept the offer. Is that what you're talking about? No. In this space, there's not you have five candidates. Generally, you have one candidate and you're getting them through the process as quickly as possible. You've got them all lined up. And now you're to the point being like... Mr. Candidate, Mrs. Candidate, here is what we're thinking for your offer, this salary, this vacation, we agree on what that looks like. That's what I meant. How many people are walking away at that particular phase? Because generally, like I've seen it in the last four months, most candidates I'm dealing with are dealing with three to four offers or are very close. So to expect, 99% of those candidates, they might through the process might be telling you, yes, I'm very interested because they might still be interested and want to get to the last step because the more options they have, the more options they have to be able to get a higher salary to play companies against each other. I would say the offer acceptance is different in tech because it is such high demand and low availability. So in other industry sectors where that is the case, specifically, I know you also are aware of drivers, right? With the increased law that you have to have specific training and licensing to be a class one or class three driver, that meant the available talent dried up pretty darn quick. So yes, you've got high demand, low availability, the, the numbers are there. Job postings are up 30% and applicants are down 30%. So it just shows the, the trend yeah. that yeah. there is way more demand than there is supply. So if you're in a space that you're competing, I think your example of drivers, perfect example. If you're making offers to five qualified drivers and you're getting all five of them, you're killing it. If you're getting half of them, I think you're killing it. In tech, if you're getting anything above 30% right now, you're doing a really good job. 99 is unrealistic because we're not seeing that. Even if you've ironed out every detail, everything seems clear, they've accepted the verbal offer and you're sending a formal offer, I wouldn't say it's 99% because they're playing 
different companies against each other and trying not to get knocked out. They're not going to deny your verbal offer. They're going to try to play that off against another company to get more money. On that note, I think it's a really good segue because Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone's heard of Coinbase. So Coinbase is in the cryptocurrency market. And recently, their CEO actually had uh, released an internal blog of what the company is going to do when it comes to compensation. And want to highlight some of the things that they brought up. Coinbase, when they came into the market, they were a startup. They were trying to attract tech talent, which even five years ago is a very competitive market. So they base their compensation on being on the 50th percentile of tech companies. For a startup, very aggressive. To be in the 50th percentile of that industry, you're in a good space generally. So what they saw, though, is candidates had the ability to negotiate their salaries. And generally, what they saw is people that negotiated or tried to get a higher salary were compensated a lot higher than the people that didn't. And in their research, it showed the people that didn't were generally women and also underrepresented groups, which caused an even bigger disparity when it came to salaries of these people. So what they recently decided to do is up their market rate. So they went from the 50th to the 70th, 5th percentile, meaning now they're extremely aggressive in how they pay in the market. And they have stopped the ability to negotiate. Their package is someone coming into role A is going to get paid the same as someone in role A already. So there's not, we hire two devs, one is say a female, one is a male, and suddenly the male is making 30% more than the female that's no longer an option because everyone's going to make the same money. Mm -hmm. Do they still have the ability to make more money when they're in the company? Yes, Uh, which I think is great because you want to reward performing. If someone is overperforming, you want the ability for them to make more money and take a step in a different position. But I thought that was interesting just in itself that you cannot negotiate salaries. And I think it's interesting because that is the catalyst of what's happening in tech recruitment generally is to our earlier point, some candidates are playing other companies against each other, trying to get more money. They basically shut that down. So do you think it's going to be a plus or minus for them uh, removing that ability to negotiate the salaries? So I think it's brilliant. I really do. Because we talk all the time about pay gap. So this, in my mind, addresses it at its root. I think this is one thing that companies can do. If you're truly going to say, we're going to close the wage gap between men and women is eliminate that negotiation because you're right. Women don't negotiate, but really what they're doing is they've taken a page out of the union handbook. Sorry if, if I'm taking wind out of their sails here. But when you are in a unionized work environment and you're externally applying for a role, the starting wage is the starting wage, period. There is no negotiation. And even though like when you see a job posting for a unionized role and it says the wage is between $26 an hour to $32 an hour, everybody thinks they're going to be offered the 32. But I can tell you by according to union rules, when you're hired, you start at the same hourly rate as everybody else, period. So interesting, not really that innovative because it's really been in practice for 
a long time with unionized workplaces. Yeah, it, but it's I applaud innovative. Them for doing something. Exactly. I think it's innovative yes. in the tech sector because it, it's just become a little bit of just crazy. I was thinking, I, so we talked about shopping for cars recently and those car dealerships that is like Saturn used to do this. This is the price you pay. You can't negotiate. As a buyer, I see that as bullshit because I'm like, you're just trying to make as much money as possible and remove the ability for me to negotiate a better rate and a better price. Said the white guy. What do you mean? Serge, I just went through this process. Did I negotiate on the price of that car? No, I didn't. Whereas a man, especially a white guy, would probably have negotiated pretty hard to see, oh, I left money on the table. But as a woman buying a car, I did not negotiate on price. Why wouldn't you negotiate on a price? Said the white guy. Okay. You just keep you just keep proving out the theory. No. The same theory that Coinbase has just said. White men will negotiate and get a higher salary. Women will not. I think we're, we're proving it right here. Well, oh, my wife would negotiate for a car probably harder than I do. Sometimes I have to tell her to. Would she for her to, for to wage? Take a step back be like, all right, I think we've got the deal we need. And she's no, let's push harder because I negotiate on it. Oh, I'm a hard negotiator when it comes to cars. I never pay anywhere near the price. They will be so annoyed by me that they end up caving into the price that I need because I would never do that. Why wouldn't you do that? Because I'm a woman. No, 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 that's that's not a good, that's a cop out. That's a cop. I am not comfortable. There comes a point. I think I, I got further in the process by my silence. Okay. Silence is a part of negotiating, right? So that was my style. Now, will that work when I'm being made an offer of employment? So realize, and and this is probably my biggest arm wrestle with traditional marketing thinking and trying to apply that to the recruitment world, because the reasons and the motivations that I buy a certain vehicle or why I buy a vehicle are not necessarily 100% transferable into the job that I take and who I work. Fair point. So if I have an offer on the table and I come back and say, I I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't, I would think that their best offer is their most fair offer. And if once I've accepted that offer and find out that it was not fair, then what does it create? Turnover. I will leave. Certainly when I speak for myself, that is how I would approach it because I believe If you start any relationship with, I don't trust you, and I think you're being dishonest with me, that's not a relationship I want to stay in. And and there is a professional relationship. There absolutely is. There is a professional relationship where, as the candidate, the employer holds all the power in this relationship. You hold the power for me to be able to provide for my family by how much you pay me. And if we're going to start a relationship where you know that if you asked me and I said, listen, I want 130,000 a year and you come back to me and offer me 115, do you know? So how is that any way to start a relationship? And I would sooner walk away from that because I know this is a very clear signal to me that you're less than honest with me. I told you when you asked me, I said, I want 130. 
if you don't offer me 130, you come back and offer me less. I walk away. I won't negotiate. I won't. Yeah, I think, very different feeling. Very I think you're being altruistic. The purpose of a company is to to max out the value as much as they can. As an employee, you're changing your time for money. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies want to maximize their labor costs as much as possible. They will give you an offer that they feel is right for them as the right range, but they're hoping you're going to take it and knowing that there's a chance that based on your options, you will come back for more and they have that kind of hashed out. They have that plan. So I'm not saying you're you're wrong, but that's not how a lot of companies work, true or false, uh, like which is trying to maximize. Which is why we're talking about Coinbase. Because Coinbase has said, we're not going to get into that. Because where they started their whole statement is the fact that they know that women won't negotiate as hard as men. It's simple as that. So if we said it, I love your example of the Saturn because I'd forgotten about that, but that is absolutely what they did. And Saturn went bankrupt. Yes, they did. They <laughs> did. Well, I think, and I'll tell you, I, I never go to a car dealership says they don't negotiate. I never go. Hmm. If, if I knew what I was getting into for a company, I know this is what they're going to pay. I'm either going to move forward or not. It's either at the rate that I want or it's not. So it actually saves a ton of time when it comes to just wasting everyone's time. Yep. I like it. So the next thing I want to talk about, if you're on TikTok, you're not following Shelly, please do. It's at hashtag girl boss. Just look it up. You'll find Shelly. <laughs> no, you won't. So let you're me give you the news here. So yes. TikTok is launching a job service for Gen Z. They're testing a tool for brands to recruit employees. The pilot program is designed to help people find jobs on TikTok and connect with companies looking to find candidates. It's also meant to help brands use TikTok as a recruitment channel. They're testing with a beta group of companies, so several big brands. I'm not sure what those brands are. So the platform itself isn't a product that's integrated directly with TikTok, but it's a separate web page accessible via the TikTok app, primarily in the entry level space. What's interesting, and we're seeing a ton of people either giving advice to job seekers on TikTok on Mm -hmm. how their resume should look, how they should contact employers. I think it's an interesting concept. I've always said, in reality, recruitment is not about finding people, it's about people finding you. So Mm -hmm. you need to be where the people that you're looking to attract are. And if you're looking for these types of roles, the numbers show they're on TikTok. So What's your thoughts? I think this was predictable. We'd heard as soon as TikTok really started to gain popularity, that sooner or later they would get into the job board game. Because now essentially they have what you just described as a job board, a separate page, but attached to the TikTok brand where you can post a job. So if they are entry-level job, it it will be interesting who they chose for the pilot, because you're right, I don't have any details either about which which of these major brands are, are participating in this and what sort of jobs. Like if it truly is a platform for a certain age demographic, what an awesome opportunity for your new grad internships, entry-level roles, seasonal work, temporary part-time work. 
awesome. Like what a great channel to be on. And so I start to wonder how, how this is going to turn out. I, I really do. If a lot of companies have been trying to figure out how to leverage TikTok as, as a recruitment tool and as a recruitment marketing tool as far as showcasing what the culture <laughs> is and what it is to work at that company. And some have been successful in doing it. So I, I think there's tons of value. I think what we'll see is the type of brands where it's almost impossible to recruit for now. So I'm talking about retail, entry level, like quick service restaurants. There's a ton of quick service restaurants right now that are offering money for people to come in for interviews and they're <laughs> offering a signing yeah. bonus. Like yeah. Walgreen is offering a thousand dollars sign on bonus, which uh, to work basically as a cashier. So there is a huge demand for these entry level roles and not enough people to fill it. A lot of people blame it on what's going on in Canada and the U.S. as far as the unemployment benefits with COVID. If you're making more money on employment than you are working a full-time job, isn't that an issue? And, and the issue is not the government giving you that money. The issue is... Thank you. Is on Say the it. other side. Say Employers it. are not paying enough. Yeah. So it's like this bullshit. Be like, we can't find people. How much do you pay? Oh, we pay minimum wage. Oh, should you look at that first? How are your benefits? Oh, we don't have benefits for these rules. No fucking... Like, <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing? It, it's the yeah. same thing that when... It, it's, it's a candidate market. You need to adjust or you're just not going to have people. So don't give me that bullshit that people would not rather work. No, no one wants to put their lives at risk to make no fucking money. No one wants to do that. So exactly. companies, look at yourself in the mirror. It's your fault. If you're having trouble, you got to pay more. Thank you. Thank you, Serge. Because the best TikTok that somebody sent me this week was a guy ranting. And that's what he started. Don't tell me that people don't want to work. They just don't want to work for shit wages. Yes. Uh, and honestly, if you're going to ask somebody to be serving the public during a pandemic and you're paying them what? What are you paying? You're seriously. So I love that perfect close out to another wonderful episode. Serge, you got anything exciting coming up in your life? Oh, I've always got tons of exciting things. <laughs> I'm going to ask a favor from everyone that's listening. And we, we have some very loyal listeners that have been with us from day one. And I really mm -hmm. appreciate it. There's some exciting news coming up. And one of the things to help us in this change is if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, can you go in and put in a review for us? I'll share the link in the show notes and our, our LinkedIn advertising for this one. We greatly appreciate it. If you listen on Spotify, if you can do the same, that would be great as well. So my only request. Awesome. And I'm sure our listeners will, because we have been, it's amazing like how many listeners we, we continue to get back week after week. And so on that surge till next time. Baba booey. Bye. <laughs> What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Pressbox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. 
Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.